Awesome. Well, everybody, welcome and thank you for joining me on another episode of Office Hours, where we learn the things that they don't teach you in school about sales and marketing. I am so excited for today's guest, James, because James is going to blow my mind about how to create Office Hours into yet another piece of content out there in podcasting. So James, who is the founder of Sweet Fish Sweetfish Media and the author of Content-Based Networking, has joined us today on Office Hours. James, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, MK. I'm, I'm pumped for the conversation. This is going to be fun. Me too. When you sent over your notes for today's session, I was like, holy moly, this is exactly everything I'd hoped I would learn on Office Hours. So thank you for sharing your time and energy. But before we dive into the meat of today's conversation, I had to ask, what is your five to nine? Are the things that you do when you're not, you know, starting media companies or yeah. writing books or crushing it out there on podcast <laughs> land? What are you up to? So I just got a Peloton. And so I'm trying to ride that thing as consistently as I possibly can. And then I'm also reworking through 24 from Jack Bauer fame. Uh, with oh, my wow. wife. And so we, we just got, we just started season three last night. So we're, we're working our way back through it. We both watched it in the early two thousands. And, uh, and so that is, that is what my five to nines have been looking like lately. I love that. I mean, when you said 24, I was like, like the 24, like the 24, 24 from like early 2000s. The 24. Is it just as good as it was way it back really then? It really is. And it's really? so funny, MK, because that like the episode we were watching last night, it was, he, he was like, oh, I, you know, put this tracker on so that we can track where you're at so we can know real time. And I'm like, I looked over at my wife and I was like, man, too bad they didn't have like find friends on, uh, on the iPhone in 2001 when this was filmed. Right? Can um, you imagine how much dropping a pin would have changed that right? entire plot? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So it's it's so fun to look back and go, man, that was only a few years ago. Uh, and now the world just looks completely different. So, so different. So different. Um, also, speaking of so different, Peloton, is it true that a, like, a technician will actually come to your house yes. and fix your station? This, is, this blows my mind. Well, two of them, two of them came and dropped it off. I haven't actually heard the technician coming to fix it, but I wouldn't be shocked. Like their entire buying experience, I think, I think B2B companies should be looking like examining brands like that because I mean the entire, like it was so easy for me to purchase it. I was able to purchase it, purchase it online. It's like 0% mm -hmm. financing. So it doesn't even make sense to pay, you know, the entirety of the 2,500 bucks. It's like 0% interest. Why wouldn't I finance this thing? And then they bring it to your house. They communicate to you via text while they're on the way. Like just every part of the buying experience was freaking phenomenal. Um, and so I would not be shocked at all if they bring a technician to your house when it breaks. I'm obsessed with this idea. I'm actually going to write a note down because I do want to invite you back on another episode to talk more about what B2B companies can learn from B2C businesses. Yes. Because what you just described is what I believe will transcend the difference between brands in B2B space that make a huge impact in the market very quickly versus brands that kind of fade and fizzle out in the background. Yeah. The brands that care about their customers in the way the B2C customers care about the end-to-end -end experience yes. are the brands that are going to dominate. I completely agree. I completely okay, agree. Okay, cool. 
we'll get you back on the books for that next episode. <laughs> yes. But for today's episode, I will try to bite my tongue and not deep dive on that. I want to learn from you about podcasting. And in fact, I learned things the hard way, always have my entire life. So I want to learn what not to do when turning <laughs> office hours into a podcast or teach our audiences what not to do when they're doing yes. the podcast. So what have you learned in your many years creating exceptional content, building brands and running podcasts have you learned to not do? Yeah, so so there there are six mistakes MK that I uh, that I like to talk about because we see we're producing about seventy five different shows right now for different B two B companies, mostly SaaS companies, and uh, and so we see these mistakes over and over and over again, and they're not that I, I don't think they're the typical mistakes that you would think, and so I'll start by by sharing the first one, and it's naming your show around your expertise as opposed to naming your show around your buyer's expertise. So take our show, for example, our podcast is called B2B Growth. It's not called the B2B Podcasting Show. It's not called the Sweetfish Media Podcast because uh, because B2B growth is what our listeners actually care about. And so when you're thinking about naming your show, you've got to know that one of the largest growth channels for audience for podcasting is through native search on podcast platforms. So you've got to be thinking, what are my listeners typing into Apple Podcasts or Spotify when they are looking for podcasts? I know that our buyers is it's a B2B marketing leader, very similar persona to Alice. And I know that they're not searching B2B podcasting. That's way too narrow. And they're not searching our company name because they don't know we exist, but they are searching B2B or B2B marketing. And so our show name is B2B growth colon your daily B2B marketing podcast. And so uh, that that's the biggest mistake because ranking for the term B2B has single-handedly helped you know, made us a top 100 podcast in the marketing category of, of Apple podcasts. Uh, we get about 150,000 downloads every month. And it's not because we're doing anything fancy. It's because we were strategic in how we named the show. And if I'm honest, we accidentally named the show correctly. We didn't figure out that little hack until we were a few years in and everybody started saying, oh yeah, I searched B2B and your, your show came up. So think about what your buyers with the people that you, whose attention you want as a brand, what are they typing in to podcast players? Name your show around that, not around yourself. And, uh, and you're going to avoid that first mistake. Oh, phenomenal. Okay. So if you're a podcaster on the precipice of getting that brand out there, starting that brand research, where do you go? Like, how would you, like the way you're describing this almost makes me think like traditional inbound marketing, keyword research. Let me get my, let's like <laughs> dive in. Let's see what the yeah. volume is and the difficulty of ranking. Like, how yep. do you even start researching the naming convention? Yeah. So I, I, there's probably going to be some technology that comes out in the next few years that helps you do SEO type stuff, like, you know, the Moz for podcasting. Um, yep. There's not that yet. And so mm -hmm. it comes down to just opening up those players and, and typing in what you think, you know, you can, you can use like kind of the, the same research that you're using for your SEO strategy kind of apply that to podcasting and go, okay, if people are searching this in Google, they might be searching this in podcast platforms as well. Type it into your podcast platform, see what pulls up and then see, okay, like 
the, this show that is optimized around this keyword, uh, and they only have two ratings of their show, their cover art's not that good. They haven't done an episode since 2017, man, this is ripe for the taking. I can, mm -hmm. I, we can come in here and dominate this. So, so that's, I, I wish there was more technology that could enable that research, but it's, mm -hmm. it's really just taking what you're already doing for your existing uh, content, uh, your SEO strategy, apply it to podcast platforms and actually go in and do the work of searching those terms to see where you need to land. The other thing that I didn't mention MK that makes naming your show around your buyer extremely strategic it mm -hmm. positions you to interview your ideal buyers instead of just talking about yourself all day. And that's actually the, the second mistake that I see B2B companies making. They're not using their show as a strategic part of their ABM strategy. And so it, it's, it is so powerful. I wrote an entire book about it. That's what content-based networking is all about is collaborating with people to create content with them as a means of building meaningful relationships with them. So I love what you guys are about at Alice, like focusing on the five to nine, what better way to understand a decision maker at your target account than to actually get them onto a 30 minute podcast interview, have them share their expertise, start riffing about the, the, you know, their dog that's barking in the background or their kid that just got, you know, that is having to do, you know, homeschool because of all this COVID stuff. Like there's no better way to form true relationships and to understand your buyers intimately than inviting them to be a guest on your show, building that relationship and, and not going for a quick, like, oh, right after the interview, I'm going to see if you're interested in a demo. Like, that's not how relationships work. That's not how this can, like, I, I, I hesitate to talk about using podcasting for ABM because my fear is that people will just like get really grimy with it and ruin it for all of us. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you genuinely want to make the person on the other end of the Zoom call the hero, and you want to allow them to uh, share their expertise, to look like the genius that they are, um, you're going to come across so much better than someone that is just trying to do a veiled discovery call that never works. Um, they're not going to want to talk to you again. They're going to tell all of their friends that are probably also decision makers at your other target accounts not to talk to you whenever you reach out to them. And so don't do that. Play the long game, build relationships by asking people to be a guest on your show and you will start to see the needle move because people want to buy from people they know, like, and trust. And a podcast interview is a phenomenal way to build that trust. You know, I think that's so astute. And that's exactly why we created Office Hours. I think your feedback on point number one is well taken. We might be able to retool the naming convention of this episode to yep. be a little bit more emotionally resonant with our audiences. Mm -hmm. But we created this series for exactly that reason, so that we could just get to know our ICP that much better. It's yep. definitely the long game. We want to hear from them. What are you thinking about? What are you problem solving? How are you going about your day to day so that we can find new ways to actually innovate our product, innovate our messaging, innovate our sales process to meet them where they are. And it never hurts to do a little ego stroking every now and again on these shows and yeah. use that subject and domain expertise um, to actually build better relationships. And that's fundamentally what we're trying to do. Yes. So when I was researching your book, Content-Based Networking, it was like, 
my a head cannon. My brain so I was I'm traditionally baked and, and forged in the steel of you know inbound marketing, yep. having been a former HubSpot employee. And I thought, what better way to create content than to work smarter, not harder, yeah. tackle two things at once, create killer content from killer subject matter experts, and also execute a world-class account-based strategy. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been saying this for the last few weeks that content-based networking or B2B podcasting is real, is imagine if, if ABM and inbound had a baby, it would be B2B podcasting or content-based networking. And, and I just think both you're, you're able, you articulated it perfectly. I mean, you're able to do two, to execute both of those strategies by doing one thing. And I think as marketers, there's all, there's, there's so much, uh, there's so many new channels that we can be experimenting with and we're bombarded with all of these ideas of things that we can try and so i love being able to talk about something that says hey this actually simplifies what you're doing uh, it allows you to do both of these things that you're right now focused on abm and inbound uh, but it allows you to do it in with one cohesive strategy and so i love that you called that out Oh, so cool. Okay, so let's recap the first two. Number one, get that naming convention that helps make sure people understand the value they get out of listening to your podcast. Yes. Number two, use your podcast as part of an integrated strategy to build better relationships with the accounts you want to do business with. Yes. Got it. Check. Done. You said six. <laughs> yes. Where's, what are we at with number three? Yeah, what's our, so, what's your so, third tip? so the third mistake that we see a lot of companies making is only having one show host. And I we, we talk about this a lot on LinkedIn and a lot of people push back on this idea that, that, that quantity is not nearly as important as quality. And obviously quality matters. Quality is, is hugely important. But I think marketers are sleeping on how important quantity actually is. And the more content that you put out, the more understanding you have of the consumers of that content, how they're reacting, how they're responding, what they're engaging with, what they're not engaging with. And so by doing volume, by doing more content, you are learning faster. Your content's just going to get better and better and better. So to do more content, you have to take the load off of a single show host. So we do a daily show for B2B growth, and there's no way that I would be doing it on my own. I, we've got 19 different co-hosts of B2B growth, both internal and external. And, and so when you, when you open your mind to thinking about your show in this way, and saying, hey, who are, who are other people on our team? Maybe our VP of customer success could host a couple episodes every month. Maybe our VP of sales could jump on and do an episode uh, once a month. Maybe that VP of sales does the episode with our VP of marketing and they talk about like what's going on behind the curtains in the business. Uh, maybe you have external people folks that are, are vendors that are maybe referral partners for you uh, that could be phenomenal co-hosts. They don't have to spin up their own show. You just ask them, hey, would you like to do you know, a, a monthly series on our show? Sangram Vajray, who's a show that we produce uh, for, for Terminus, his show is called Flip My Funnel. He's done an incredible job with this where he has folks uh, he has folks do a theme. So he'll have somebody talk about category creation or uh, evangelism. And, uh, and those episodes end up being fantastic. And he doesn't even have to do them. He gets other people uh, outside of his organization to host those episodes. And so I think only having one host 
is, uh, is, a, is a big time mistake uh, because it limits how much content you can put out and it's limiting the perspectives that you can share as well. So I think your content uh, gets more, uh, I, I think it's more well-rounded. I think it's uh, more diversified whenever you're sharing more voices. And so, uh, and it limits how many relationships you can build. So when you've got multiple people in the organization that are interviewing you know, decision makers at target accounts, that's more more relationships that your brand is building through the show as opposed to just one show host who's probably busy because they've got a full-time job on top of doing that show for the company. And so, um, so, so the, that, that's, that's a big third mistake. You know, I think it's so fascinating and I always try to approach everything like a circle, right? Every circle has 360 degrees, which means you have 360 different perspectives or vantage points mm -hmm. at which to view a subject matter. But yep. I never really thought about that through the lens of actually producing a show where really you might have only one perspective of one person. Now, ideally you're inviting incredible guests like Sangram yep. who actually did get to teach us here yep. at Office Hours how to become a CMO. Yeah. But you, unless you have this pool of talent that you can tap into, you might end up becoming more insular and not realize mm -hmm. that you're misrepresenting or underrepresenting other perspectives, the, all the other 359 degrees yes. uh, of perspective on the situation. Yep. Uh, fascinating. Exactly right. So I'm tempted to get a little operationally centric just for a second, yep. because if you have 19 different hosts coming in, helping to create content for B2B growth, Yep. How do you keep the production schedule running efficient, efficiently yeah. with 19 different folks in the mix? Yeah, so it's so it's very specific processes. We run everything on Trello right now, and and we've got checklists for every episode. So our show's producer, um, who also produces shows for for our customers, she's she produces B two B growth, and so mm -hmm. she works through just a very you know a very detailed checklist. Uh, the host tells us what kind of content they want uh, to be repurposed out of that particular. episode. Episode, whether it's a LinkedIn slide deck or a micro video, um, or you know maybe just a longer text-only LinkedIn status update, um, and then she works with our audio engineers, our our video team. So we've got it. We've got an engine behind us that that can allow us to do it a little bit differently than probably the folks listening to this, but there's no reason you couldn't build that engine yourself. Even if you decide not to work with an agency like ours, finding, you know, finding freelancers that can plug in those gaps, somebody that can do your audio engineering, somebody that can do your copywriting, um, somebody that can, that can take the video from zoom and turn it into a little micro video that you see popping up all over Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. So, um, so build out your system. System, document your process. And uh, we're about to move everything from Trello to Asana. So I don't have, uh, I don't have what our new process is, is going to look like with Asana, but we are moving from Trello over to Asana and I'm super pumped about it. Uh, I think it's going to be even more efficient when we make that move. But yeah, that's uh, operationally, that's, that's how we do it. Nice. Yeah. So details thorough. Um, are you going to be as bold as to say that the marketer that companies should invest, especially B2B companies should invest in is going to be a producer of sorts? You have your content yeah. team, you have the brand and buzz team, but 
producer. That's not always yeah. someone that marketers have in the mix. Yeah, they, they don't. And I think it's a powerful role. I mean, we've got a team of them here and it's somebody that's got an eye for uh, an eye or ear for quality, but also really like playing a project management role and like juggling a bunch of different balls in the air, right? Because they may not necessarily know how to, uh, how to work, you know, every Adobe product, but they know how to keep things pushing forward. And they've also got a really good eye or ear for content quality. Um, so yeah, I, I think that could absolutely be a role that more marketing teams are hiring in the next few years. Mm, okay, good to know. Good to know. All right, cool. So number three, make sure you have as many hosts as possible. More, yes. more hosts means more content, yep. means more perspectives on the content that you're creating. Yep. More, yeah, and the more relation, more networking out there for yep. you for your yep. podcast. So, so Love the fourth it. mistake, MK, is not having, uh, not uncovering unique points of view with the guests that you bring on to the show. And so mm -hmm. for the longest time, and we did, we were up to almost, I think we might've hit 2000 episodes on B2B growth. So we've Congratulations. done, thank you. We've done a ton of content. And I think probably until we got our first, maybe 1500 episodes or so, we didn't, we were making this mistake. We weren't doing this. So um, what we, but what we figured out is when we can guide our guest to having a unique and differentiated point of view, the content, our listeners love that content way more than when they're just saying the same thing that everybody else is already saying. So if I hear one more person talk to me about why sales and marketing needs to be aligned, I'm going to throw my head through a wall. I've heard that for half a decade. Uh, yes, it's true. But unless you have some sort of spin on that, like I'm, I'm just kind of kind of discount what you're saying, because I've heard it so much. Now, if somebody came along and said, this is why sales and marketing shouldn't be aligned. Now my ears are going to perk up because I haven't heard that point of view. I don't like yep. I, I and, and I'm not saying to be contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian, but there are three specific questions that you can ask your guest. You can really use this insularly too. You can ask yourself this question to develop your own points of view, but I love asking these questions in like a pre-interview um, or even just right before you hit record um, to draw out a point of view from a guest. And it's the, the first question is, what's a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? And so that always draws out like a very, um, uh, it, it's just a differentiated point of view. You're intentionally yep. asking someone what is something that everybody in your space believes that you don't think is true and mm -hmm. you'd be shocked at how many people have an answer for that question everybody's everybody thinks that the industry is doing something wrong the second yep. question is what's something that people in your industry should start doing today that they're not already doing and the third question is very similar what's something that people in your industry should stop doing today that they are doing, but it's probably detrimental to them. So those start and stop questions, make sure that the content's going to be actionable. Yep. Um, that's like, you know, basic copywriting. You, you don't mm -hmm. want to write in passive voice. You don't want your content to be passive either. You want to be, uh, you want to be telling your listeners or your consumers of your content, what they can, what they can actually do with your content, start doing this, stop doing that. Whenever I write content like that on LinkedIn, it always does well because it's actionable. So, uh, so ask POV discovery questions and make sure that you are uncovering uh, differentiated points of view for your guests. They're going to come off smarter and your content's going to be better, which is going to help you grow your audience.
I really like that too, because a lot of times I've, I've, as I've been a host, folks come in and feel like their point of view is like really, really concrete, very clear and crystallized. But if you don't give them the constraints with that start and the stop, they tend to veer. They tend yeah. to kind of like serpentine through their point without having something crisp and yes. actionable for folks. Yeah. Um, so I like that you're also helping them think more concisely to bring that point of view to the surface. And also you're probably like nine times out of 10 codifying someone's point of view yes. when they themselves hadn't even actually sat down and said, what is my stance on X, Y, and Z? I love that you just called that out, MK, because that is a hugely under, uh, it, it's, it's this benefit that no, I, nobody ever talks about. But like when you help someone codify their point of view by approaching your content, like a journalist approaches their content, yeah. they like you more you deepen mm -hmm. the relationship because you made them look better. So mm -hmm. props to you for, for, for taking it there and, and calling that out because that is, that is a huge insight that I hear very, very few talk. Nobody talks about it actually. No, I'm a huge fan. I make sure that all of my teammates know, you know, you need to have a point of view and, and I call it our stump speech. Like yeah. what is your stump speech? What is the thing that you know to be true? And what is that thing that you're so passionate about that when you speak about it, people stop in the mid stride to listen to what you have to say, because that yep. authenticity, that's what catches people's yep. ear. It's not exactly just right. how well-spoken you are on the subject matter. It's the heart. It's the soul that you introduce into the concept. Yes. Oh, okay. Love that. And also it doesn't hurt when you have guests who also are podcast hosts themselves because you are by far the most prepared person I'd ever have jump into the show. So when you have a podcast host, that's also working smarter, not harder. Yep. So then folks come prepared with their list of six things not to do yes. when podcasting. Incredible. <laughs> Uh, awesome. So cool, James. All right. All right. Point number five, mistake number five. Sorry. What yes. is that fifth thing that people should not do with their podcast? Yeah. So the, the mistake that people are making is they're not doing original research through their podcast. What do I mean mm -hmm. by original research? Some people call it first party research. We call it original research. Um, you see a lot of brands doing this. Andy Crestadina is big on original research. He's probably written more about original research than anyone I've seen online. Um, and he's brilliant. But the, the way that I've always seen original research done is that you come up with, you know, uh, 20 or 30, maybe 40 questions, and you send out this giant survey to a thousand or so people in your target market. You mm -hmm. get as, try to get as many people as you can to fill out that survey, and then you go in and analyze the data. And that's a fantastic approach to research. It works really well for a lot of people. But when I thought about that, I thought, man, I want to do it a little bit differently. I, I want there to be a little bit more color on the insights that we pull from this. And if we shoebox everybody into only responding to a question in one of four ways or one of six ways, we're really limiting the insights we can draw from it. And so instead, we started doing either, a, you know, in the pre-interview or the post-interview, we started asking 15 questions. They were rapid fire questions, things like, you know, uh, what is the uh, what's the number one marketing channel uh, that mm -hmm. is currently driving results for you? What mm -hmm. KPIs is your CEO measuring? Uh, what is the um, 
what's the most overrated trend in B2B marketing right now? What's the most underrated tactic in B2B marketing right now? So we're asking these kinds of questions and then where some people will give a very brief response, but some people will add a little bit of color on it. And that color gives us really powerful insights. An example, we're about 70 interviews deep right now in doing this. We're waiting until we get to a hundred and then we're going to package up this original research and do, it's going to fuel basically our entire 2021 content strategy. But with these, um, uh, with these questions, one of the, qu one of the questions we ask is what's your all-time favorite book on marketing and these B2B marketers that we're asking over and over and over again, I kept hearing, well, it's not actually a marketing book. Well, it's not actually a marketing mm -hmm. book. It's a book on creativity or it's a book on productivity or it's a book on organizational health or psychology. And so the insight that we're able to pull from that, now again, we're not even done answering. We're only like 65 or 70 in, but I can already tell that one of our insights is going to be marketers don't read marketing books. If you want to achieve, you know, VP of marketing or CMO level in your marketing career, then start reading books outside of the, the specific skill set of marketing, um, because that seems to be what these CMOs and VPs of marketing are reading to get there. So you can be that central hub of insight for your industry, for your buyers, by just doing this simple thing of coming up with 10 to 15 questions asking it in the pre or post interview of the podcast interviews you're already doing, and then build a process around creating genuine insights from that original research. And it's, you'd be shocked at how much content it's going to produce. One of the questions we ask MK is um, if you were in a room with a hundred of your peers in B2B marketing leadership, what question would you want to ask them? So as excited as I am about our first round of research, I'm even more excited about the second round of research we do because the questions that are that we're gonna use for that second round of research actually come straight from the mouths and brains of our ideal buyers who we're interviewing for this research. So you can, and, and that, and it's going to be a continuous cycle, right? So we're planning on doing this original research on a very regular basis, probably quarterly, at least every six months. Um, because I, I think the insights are going to be way too powerful um, to not capitalize on. So that's, that's the fifth mistake is not, not getting that kind of juice from the squeeze. You're already putting a, so much effort into having a podcast, mm -hmm. get more juice out of it by just asking, you know, 10 or 15 rapid fire questions on the front or back end. You don't even have to record them and use that for original research. You know, in so many ways, especially in these first five points, and I hope this stands true for point number six, but you are a facilitator. When you've decided to take on a podcast, not only are you a networking facilitator, you're trying to build bonds with the people you want to do business mm -hmm. with. Not only are you a knowledge facilitator, you are also in there as well to facilitating someone's own thought patterns around yes. their belief systems and their point of view on things. And what I also love about this point about research is you're also facilitating your own content strategy moving forward. And mm -hmm. you're also facilitating information gathering for other folks as well too. Marketers yeah. are probably the most guilty of the silver bullet trend where we're like, what's hot, what's hot this yep. year? What's, yeah. what's hot this month? Yeah. And so anybody who's doing the research, we're like, oh, cool. You cut the corner. You already did this for me. I'm just going to go learn from you. So you're also facilitating information gathering and data collection for other folks who may not have the bandwidth or uh, time to be able yes. to commit to creating that type of market research. Yep. This is a, a completely different 
different way to be thinking about how a podcast fits within a strategy. It's not just yes. you talking out there into the world. It's you being that central axle to facilitate the momentum of your account-based strategy. Yep. Oh, yep. So good. I and hope point number six yeah. gets us, keeps that strong, that facilitation yes. strong in my point. But anyway, yes. what we're about to say. And, and, it, and it does. Facilitation is pivotal to this sixth mistake that people make, which is not organizing small mastermind groups with your former podcast guests. And so I hear, I, I've got this point of view that intimacy, not size is what creates a great community. And I, you, I, I'm seeing a lot of marketers talk about community a lot. Um, but the way they're talking about it makes me think that the way they're measuring its success is in the size. They either want to get thousands of people into their Patreon group or their Facebook group or their Slack channel. But I don't think great community happens in a massive group like that. Community to me is intimate. It's uh, I, I want to go to a place where I feel uh, where I feel seen, where I feel heard, where I feel understood. And that happens, I think, more in the micro than it does in these massive groups. And so what we've started doing, uh, we started two what we call B2B growth groups, but essentially it's a mastermind group. Mastermind groups are very big in like entrepreneurial circles, but I don't see a lot of people outside of entrepreneurial circles using them, but they're hugely powerful. It's essentially a melding of the minds of a small group of five to seven people. And so we've gone back to, five or six of our former B2B growth guests. And we just say, Hey, would you be interested in being on a monthly zoom call with five of your peers in B2B marketing leadership? We structure those calls in a very specific way. So the first 20 minutes of the call, somebody in the group shares a lesson learned. It could be about negotiating a salary. It could be about a productivity thing that's helped them in their career. Anything that's helped them grow in their career they, some, some people will do a deck. Some people will just share on the zoom call, but we're actually engaging that small group. It's not me teaching. It's somebody from the group teaching a lesson learned for 20 minutes. We do like 15 minutes where they're talking five minutes where people will chime in and ask questions and, and like have them elaborate on things that they're curious about. The second 20 minute block of that one hour call, it, we call experiments. So because our growth groups are made up of marketers, we have somebody share like, hey, what's an experiment you've run in the last 12 months? And what were the results from that? So that's been a really, really fun part of uh, part of these calls. And then the last 20 minutes is the special sauce. And this is really where Mastermind gets its name. We, we call that section deep dives. And so one person in the group contributes a problem that they're currently experiencing in their business with their marketing team, with a the strategy they've deployed, whatever. And then the rest of the group chimes in and helps them brainstorm possible different solutions. So, so many marketers are siloed, so many professionals, not even marketers, professionals are siloed inside our own organization. By facilitating these mastermind groups, you're bringing in your peers from outside of your company and inviting them in to help you figure out like different problems that you're trying to solve. So the relationships that you build in these micro groups are huge. The learning is huge. And you as a brand facilitating these groups, you will know your customers better than any of your competitors. You'll know what keeps them up at night. You'll know what they're challenged by. You know, you'll know the words and lingo that they use. You'll, you'll know the things that make them roll their eyes 
eyes in the back of their head uh, because you're facilitating these very small, intimate five to seven person groups. We're doing two right now. I foresee in the next six months us having at least five or six of these different groups hosted by different people on our team. I want as many people from our company facilitating these groups as possible because the insights are going to be huge. Um, and then the groups are going to rotate every six months. So once somebody's been in a group for six months, we'll say, hey, we're going to put you into another group so you can meet more people. And we're going to continue to engage that person on a much deeper level than just seeing them comment on a LinkedIn post, which I, I think a lot of people, it just, it's a different way of thinking about community, uh, much smaller and less like, Oh, can we get a thousand people in this Slack channel? Um, and and because it's different, you know, some people might disagree with that. But uh, I think intimacy is the way. Whenever you're trying to build community, and uh, when you have a podcast, you've got guests that are also your ideal buyers that you've already engaged with, going back to them and saying, "Hey, would you want to be a part of one of these peer groups? We meet once a month for an hour on Zoom." We, I haven't, I've yet to have anybody tell me no. And I've asked, uh, I've asked now that we've got two groups going, I've asked at least 12 people to be a part of one of these groups um, and people love it so far. That's so great. I mean, think about the behavior after you listen to a podcast or someone listens. The first thing you want to do is just go demonstrate the, like the elasticity of your brain now that you've just yeah. been pushed to that next level. And you want to do that. Like I usually just turn to my partner and I want to like just purge all the cool things I just learned in that podcast. But like, she's just like, okay, but that's not what, what just happened? What did I just come up? What just happened to me? But when you are met with that community of folks who really want to deep dive, like what you've become is that facilitator of like neuropathing. Like you've helped someone actually crack the nut on a problem that they've been trying to solve with some of the best peers. And again, you're just facilitating really good innovation um and thought leadership amongst others you've you facilitated it like it's yeah so it didn't cool. come out of my brain i it, i, yeah, I just exactly. put the i just put the right people in the right space and mm -hmm. because i'm the one that put those people together i ultimately you know it's it's what gary v you know the the high school party rule when when you're the kid who has parents that travel a lot for work or whatever and you get to host the parties you become cool because you're the host of the party not because you're actually cool <laughs> and, and and so we've we've applied you have the that resources to the, you can facilitate yeah. <laughs> right, right? Like what, we've applied that to the nth degree right like hosting a podcast is a form of that hosting mm. master is a form of that doing original research is a form of that and so uh so i i i believe in it uh wholeheartedly and we're trying to execute it in all the different ways we can possibly think of because it just keeps working this is and keep going too because this is one of my favorite episodes i probably say that every episode but this time you have hit on six of the most important facts that we hadn't considered when really developing a strategy for office hours both the, the mini web series and also the podcast yeah. um so to make sure for those people that may have skipped a little read a little faster jump through a little faster let's go recap through the six yeah the first so, the, one is so the, the naming convention yes naming okay. naming your show around your buyer's expertise instead of your expertise. 
the, the second one is not using your show as a part of your ABM strategy. So if you're only asking thought leaders and authors to be a guest on your show, but you're not asking decision makers at your target accounts to be a guest on your show, you're missing a huge opportunity. Uh, the third mm -hmm. mistake, MK, is only having one show host. The more content you create, the better your content's going to become. The more hosts mm -hmm. you have, the more content you're going to create. The fourth mistake is not uncovering unique points of view from your guests. And so ask those three POV discovery questions. What's a commonly held belief in your industry that you passionately disagree with? What's something that everyone in your industry should start doing today? What's something that everybody in your industry should stop doing today? Those three questions will get you differentiated points of view that end up being gold. Uh, the, the, four, the fifth one is uh, not doing original research through your podcast. So coming up with those 10 to 15 questions, rapid fire style that you can ask on the front end or back end of your podcast interviews, and then put together those insights and create incredibly insightful content from the content you're creating ancillarily to your podcast instead of the actual meat and potatoes of each episode. Just mm -hmm. ask those 10 rapid fire questions and it's going to spit out a whole nother set of content that's going to be rooted in rich insights from the brains of your buyers. And then the sixth one is not organizing small mastermind groups with your podcast guests. You've already done the work of identifying decision makers at your target accounts, asking them to be on your show, deepen that relationship with them by inviting them to be in a mastermind group, meet with them once a month, with put them in a room with five or six of their peers. They're going to love it. And your, you as the, the company are going to garner so many insights from being that close to your potential customers. So, so cool. James, if people want to come check you out, read more about your, your content-based networking, listen to B2B growth, like where should I direct? What, what I got to send more people your way. Yeah, yeah, where, so, where should I send folks? Yeah. So you can find the book on Audible or, uh, or Amazon. You can go to mm -hmm. sweetfishmedia.com to learn more about what we do at Sweetfish. Uh, again, we're producing podcasts for about 75 B2B brands right now. So if you're interested in doing this, uh, even if you don't want to work with an agency like ours, uh, we love talking to folks that are looking at this space. So even if you're just wanting some strategic advice, um, reach out and somebody from our team will connect with you there. So sweetfishmedia.com, find content-based networking on Amazon or Audible. Uh, and then I'm super active on LinkedIn as well. So James Carberry, C-A-R-B-A-R-Y, you can find me there. And hopefully this is super helpful. Oh, it was super helpful for me. I can't imagine that it wasn't anything less than stellar for those that have listened to today's episode. James, thank you so much for joining me on Office Hours. And don't forget, I made the note, come back, join me on an episode yes. about what B2B marketers can learn from B2C companies. Yes. Awesome, MK. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Pleasure is all mine. Take care.